Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Uh, it's Parashat Bo, which is my late mother and our grandmother's Yorzeit, 21 years. Uh, her name was Doreen Gerber Devora, but David Berha Kohen, and it's in her memory that I'm dedicating this parasha. She actually died in our house on Friday night of Parashat Bo, so it will always be very, very special parasha for our family. It is the Parsha that has the last three plagues of the ten. Easy to remember because the word Bo, Bet Aleph, is two and one in Gematria. So you get to three, so it's always very easy to remember that the last three were here. It's a Parsha that, as I've just said, does the last three plagues, covers those, and then um, deals with uh, the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, which is Achodesh Hazel Achem, and also deals with, not necessarily in this order, the uh, Pesach Seder, which we have to, this whole idea of having a Seder, where we don't actually commemorate, we don't actually remember, we actually re-experience. It's a very different Jewish view of holidays. We don't actually remember or celebrate or commemorate. The Jewish calendar really works on the basis that we re-experience events. And uh, that's what we do with, with the Pesach Seder, is we actually re-experience the, the Exodus. So it goes on from there and finally ends with the, uh, the uh, uh, tefillin. Just a couple of highlights that I wanted to mention along the way. First of all, God doesn't say let the parois says bo. And the kotzka says bo is bo iti, come with me and I will be with you. For such a momentous journey, God will be with Moshe. And it's a beautiful way, a parental way, a loving and caring way for Hashem to deal with Moshe. and. Uh, it's something we should also bear in mind when people need help and assistance to really be there for them uh, and not give them simply instruction. When um, Pharaoh offers to release just the parents, the, the elders, um, Moshe responds with a beautiful and such a Jewish response, which is, in Ureinu, Uzukuneinu, we will go with our elders and our, with our young and our old. And notice the order, the children come first. And by the way, that was my late mother. So, Binu Urenu Viskunenu, we will only go one way with our children and the elders in that sequence, in that list of priorities. Such a critical uh, way to that the Jewish world works, focus on the kids. And of course, my mother's life was a living embodiment of that. Um, the last three plagues take place in this week's Parsha. They all have in common the theme of darkness. Arbe, Choshech, and Makat Bukharot are all linked to darkness. When a swarm of locusts travels and then lands, they block the sun, literally, and there is darkness created. Um, then we get to Choshech, this palpable darkness that overtook the world, um, with the exception, of course, of, of the Israelites. Uh, darkness, and then Makat Bukharot, the slang of the firstborn, also took place at midnight. And this common theme of darkness can be linked to the second act of creation. The first act of creation was the creation of the world, where it started off being dark, and God said, let there be light. And now again, God creates darkness with the last three plagues so that he can then create light with the emergence of the Jewish people as a nation. When the eighth plague is about to happen, the elders, the advisors, the senior people to Paro Tell him to quit. Tell him to release B'nai Israel because it's not leading anywhere but to disaster. And he ignores their advice. 
And so what we see over here is a really great lesson in taking advice from people. Those who go solo run massive risks, and those who heed advice and genuinely seek opinions um, that may be different from their own, uh, I think that is really the, the core of effective leadership and powerful living. We know right at the beginning in Breshit, when Hashem gives uh, Adam a, uh, a wife, a woman, uh, he calls her Ezer Kenegdor, a woman opposed to him, a woman opposite. And I don't think that means in the sense of fighting and arguing, but I think it means in the sense of having a complementary view that works to improve somebody's overall worldview and the kind of decisions and the life that you lead. So uh, we see over here that one of Paro's great failings was the total inability to take advice from others and to be open to that. I wanted to talk about the uh, Pesach uh, Korban because it's one of the korbanot that needs to be eaten completely at night. It uh, cannot be kept till the morning. And what that means in practical terms is that everyone has to come by and eat. If you can't store it for the next day, you're anxious to get rid of it and to share it widely. And that's also such a, a beautiful image that uh, this sacred meal is spread as widely as possible and not kept for the, uh, you know, for the, pe for the elders and the seniors and the people who have uh, protexia. This is the parasha where the first mitzvah is given to the Jewish people, which is the commandment that we will control and be guided by time. And we enter into this sublime partnership between God and the Jewish people where the Shabbat is fixed by God and every other festival that we commemorate is fixed by us. We determine when the new moon is and as a result of that determination, we decide on which day God will forgive us on Yom Kippur, judge us on Rosh Hashanah, um, redeem us from Egypt on, on uh, Pesach, and so on. All the festivals are determined by us, by the Beit Din that has supreme authority to declare the new month into being. And that partnership between God who controls the solar, the calendar that runs from the sun, which means the morning the evening, Shabbat, and the seasons, combines with us, the Jewish people, we, through our representatives, control the monthly calendar, which controls all the festivals. And so, while some cultures have a solar calendar and others have a lunar calendar, the Jewish people have a luni solar calendar. Basically, we follow the moon with makeups along the way for differing dates of the month, some are 30, some are 31, because the actual length is about 29 and a half, and the actual number of months in the year, which we have to insert extra months to make sure that the lunar calendar keeps up with the solar calendar, so that Pesach, for example, can always take place, place in the spring. And that partnership of a, of a lunar solar calendar is at the essence of what it means to be a Jew. The moon symbolizes spirituality, and really symbolizes, in a way, the Jewish people who reflect God's radiance, which is the solar light stream, but don't generate light. We simply reflect God's light. And the sun, which is the essence of the source of light, which is God himself. The Jewish calendar really has three roles. Number one, and not in this order of importance, it takes us through the Exodus process every year. The Shalosh Regalim really reenact the Exodus process, starting with Pesach and then going to Sukkot 
and then going to Shavuot, which is the highlight, the culmination, the purpose of the Exodus. So we re-experience the Exodus process every year with the calendar. It is also an entire listing of the history of the Jewish people. And as we go through the year, we re-experience and re-encounter every important, significant date in the Jewish calendar. And finally, the calendar provides what I've always called a circuit training opportunity for the enhancement of the soul. And each festival is simply a stop at another machine to exercise another set of spiritual muscles. Just imagine that Pesach, Pesach is the ability to strengthen the muscle called essential freedom. A Jew goes through the Pesach process, is deeply in touch with the idea that each of us can declare ourselves to be fully free from any problems, issues, habits that drive us down and to start with a, uh, a liberation from any enslavements which we may have of any kind. The essence of the Rosh Hashanah period is the ability to be forgiven and to start afresh. To be, so the power of forgiveness, to seek and receive forgiveness and to grant it to others is the spiritual muscle to be exercised of a Rosh Hashanah. And so we see that it is impossible to be a Jew without both a watch and a calendar. We are very conscious of the passage of time, which is, after all, the only asset that any of us have. All we have is the remaining time between being vertical and being horizontal. And the challenge is to fill that space with the maximum amount of meaning and growth. This is all um, clearly stated when we make the bracha. On Shabbat, we say, Mekadesh HaShabbat, because Hashem gives the Kedusha to Shabbat. But on the festivals, we say, Mekadesh Yisrael, the Hazmanim. Why? Because God blesses Israel, and Israel blesses the Zmanim, the festivals, the times that are sacred. And that partnership between us and Hashem is exemplified by those two brachot, and we take the one that's appropriate for each particular event. Because of the spiritual nature of the moon, it is actually possible to discern the essential nature of a festival by the phase of the moon that presents itself at that time. So, for example, Pesach takes place on the 15th of the month when the moon is full. So does Sukkot take place when the moon is full. Rosh Hashanah, the period where God hides his face and waits for us to make the first move, takes place at the new moon when we say Tikuba Shofar in other words, Rosh Hashanah takes place when the moon is dark, when Hashem is not revealing himself to us because it is up to us to make the first move to God. And if we make the move appropriately on Rosh Hashanah and then on Yom Kippur, we see the light beginning to reemerge until it comes into full radiance at the time of Sukkot. Shavuot is somewhat in between. It's neither at the beginning of the month nor at the end because that is the time when we get the Torah. And it is up to us. God gives us the part, which is the giving of the Torah. It is up to us to receive the Torah and make it ours. And if we've done that, then the middle phase will in turn reveal its full glory and splendor as we fulfill our obligation to receive the Torah. Finally, what I wanted to just mention is the tefillin I mentioned. And the tefillin, you know, we, we have tefillin on the, uh, on the arm and the head because the arm symbolizes action and the head symbolizes 
everything else, spiritual, the brains, the character, that's all symbolized by the head. And so by having the tefillin on the head and the arm, we really combine those two. But it's very interesting to know that at no point does a man have the tefillin on his head without having the arm with tefillin on it as well. If you look at how the tefillin are put on, you'll see that the, tefillin, the hand goes on, then the head, then you finish off the hand. When you take it off, you start undoing the hand, you take off the head, and then you take off the hand. I think it's a, it's a lesson that the emphasis in Judaism is much more on action than anything else. Of course, it needs to be guided by head, heart, soul, character, and so on. But we are ultimately a religion of action rather than some other religions, which are religions of feeling, belief, and, uh, and thought. And uh, just a, a last point, God promised B'nai Israel that when they would leave Egypt, they would leave with Rechush Gadol, with a very big bounty, with a benefit, with a gain. We should always try to keep in mind that when we go down, we, you know, we're, we're promised they will come up even higher, even better. And the Jews were promised they would come out with Rechush Gadol, and they were. And that Rechush was used first for bad, in building the uh, golden calf, but then for good in building the Beit HaMikdash. And that's where the Rehush ultimately ended up, is sanctifying and glorifying. Wish everybody a good Shabbos. Peaceful, restful, inspiring. Uh, and uh, God willing, we'll be back next week.